107.7, 1077thebronc.com, proudly nominated for a 2019 and 2021 National Association of Broadcasters Marconi Award for College Radio Station of the Year, and broadcasting live from the Bronx all-new digital broadcast studios, welcome you to Your Pet Matters with Dr. Michael Tequila. Sit down, grab a blanket, and snuggle up with your furry family, because it's time for Your Pet Matters with Dr. T of Progressive Veterinary Care, where Dr. Michael Tequila will discuss everything you need to know to keep your fuzzy friends happy, healthy, and safe. Your Pet Matters is underwritten by Progressive Veterinary Care, 390 County Road, Route 518, Skillman. For more information online, it's ProgressiveVeterinaryCare.com. Here he is now, only on 107.7 The Bronx. Perfect. Welcome to Your Pet Matters. I'm your host, Michael Dr. T. Tequila, and I have a special guest today. Um, my special guest is Dr. Vishal Murthy. He is, he's currently doing his residency in neurology at UC Davis. Uh, he's, a, he's a fellow Canadian. Um, he graduated from the University of Guelph. And he did his internship at the Veterinary Emergency Center in Toronto, um, which is, I think I've had uh, two or three Canadians on my show. So you're, you're, you're my third nice. Canadian. Yeah, it's, it's really good to <laughs> have you. So, so thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you for having me. And uh, you're three hours, I guess you're three hours behind me right now, right? Three hours yeah. behind, yes. Okay, so, um, so it's, it's roughly it's roughly dinner time at the at, at, when we're recording this uh yeah. here and it's it's my kids bedtime here so <laughs> we're oh, nice. really good um, but but uh Vishal, i wanted to talk to you about i think that in your particular case um and for our american listeners i think it's it's important to just just go through the process of what made you want to become a veterinarian and sure. then how did the road of life lead you to where you are now like in a neurology uh uh, a setting, and yeah. then what we'll do is is what what the the listeners and viewers aren't aware of is he's also uh, an artist, and he's done some cartooning <laughs> on the side. Yep. Um, and shout out to my classmate Pam Pam Bootlier. Um she does the same thing, so it's it's cool. I think it's really cool. But but why don't we start from where it all began? So, mm -hmm. um, were were you in India at the time that you decided to become a vet? Or are you one of those who always wanted to become a vet? No, I definitely was not one of those who always knew that. Um, I was actually living in Malaysia at the time. I had moved away from India. My parents moved around a lot when I was growing up and um, did my high school in Malaysia. When it came time for graduation, you know, I was kind of really unsure of what I wanted to do. You know, as you mentioned, I do a lot of art and that was actually something I was quite interested in as well. Um, my parents were you know, in their infinite wisdom, they decided to uh, make sure I got an undergrad degree first and, uh, you know, focus on the sciences for a bit, which I always enjoyed biology, always liked that kind of stuff, loved animals, but never really saw myself doing that as a career. So I got into uh, the University of Guelph. Um, I kind of applied there specifically thinking about veterinary medicine as maybe being an option. Uh, but it wasn't until I really started volunteering at a veterinary clinic in um, Mississauga in Ontario that I really kind of could appreciate what it was and the impact it had. And that's really what kind of put me on that path. And so, so, so how long were you living in Canada at the time? Mm -hmm. I had left Canada when I was four, so I had just come back. Okay, okay, okay. And it was quite a stark difference too. I mean, you know, growing up, in a lot of parts in Nepal and India and in Malaysia, you know, you see animals being treated very, very differently than out in the West. And so to kind of grow up with that and then come back to this atmosphere was quite a big change for me. And so I think that really helped me appreciate that, you know, I had this ability to really make a big difference. And, and it's interesting, as, as I told you before the show, a classmate of mine was from India and he, he described that, I don't know where exactly he lived, but in his town, there was a veterinarian that arrived on his bicycle and it, it gave him appreciation. Um, you know, mm -hmm. it, as, as you discuss, discussed, I think that in many countries, the human animal bond is a completely different concept than what we experience oh, in Europe and, yeah. and Western areas and, and North America. But he was fortunately able to actually experience that through this veterinarian. And that's what gave him the, mm -hmm. the understanding. Oh, very nice. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a very good story and it's, it's, it's really neat. But, but yeah, I can understand that. But I, I, think, it, I think it's great that um, the diversity that, that you're able to bring these concepts and so forth. So do, do you ever go back to a, a more holistic approach or anything with, the, with your pets? Is there, is there anything from your 
from your upbringing and, and the travels that you can bring into the the concept? Because we're talking about integrative medicine now a lot, right. a, a lot yeah. of uh, practitioners. That's a good question, and I think it's one that I struggle with, especially in neurology. Um, you know, I've definitely been a lot more. I guess my my past makes me a lot more open to those things. I, that's probably the best way to put it. You know, I've definitely been getting into a little bit of acupuncture, getting to see some of the benefits of that and that sort of thing. Still a little bit on the fence on a lot of them. You know, I think I'm I come from a very evidence-based perspective, and I like to see some data before I can make a call. But I've definitely the Anecdotally, at least, have seen a lot of uh, definitely, ha you know, a lot of those things have its place. And I think and as an adjunct, it works really well. I'm huge on physical rehab and uh, that kind of, uh, you know, post-op uh, management and stuff like that. But um, specifically speaking from my background, my history, I don't know that there's really a lot that I can directly translate to animals. Okay. You know, I grew up. I grew up actually with a lot of um, like yoga was a very big thing in our family. Ah. We it's actually something that even I, as a kid, when I had problems with breathing and things like that, um, it was something that was part of my treatment protocol. Not the easiest thing to translate to cats and dogs, but <laughs> definitely those kind of things have uh, influenced my uh, approach to medicine. Although we are seeing some viral videos on YouTube about you see these people performing yoga and their pet will either do it with, with them or it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's extremes. They either do it with them or they interfere, and for, mm -hmm. right? They're mm -hmm. walking all over them and everything <laughs> like that. No, but I'm sure, I'm sure there is, uh, there, I saw a goat yoga session too where some people were doing oh, yoga and the goats would jump on them and everything like that. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's more uh, just a business draw, but <laughs> it's one of those yeah. things we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye out for the future. But so what, what did you do your undergrad in? at Guelph before veterinary medicine? My undergrad initially started off very unfocused. It was just a general biological sciences degree. Um, I had initially started off just wanting to do a general degree and I decided to do like a three-year program without a, without a major. Um, and then I think it was by about second year that I decided, okay, I'm going to, you know, commit to going down this path of vet med. And it worked in my favor because it meant I got into vet school a whole year earlier than most people. So... Well, you got even like at, at my time, so I'm aging myself. I'll talk about the mid '90s when I I went to med uh -huh. school. At that time, I was told statistically you need three three applications before you get in. So you even, uh -oh. got, you even beat that curve. Yeah. I'm sure it's like four or five right now. Uh, but no, yeah. but that's great. So so you did a general uh, BSc, uh, get into to vet school, and then what made you want to do neurology? Yeah, it it was a challenge because I got into vet school after only having experience with uh, private practice, like general practice, and, and a little bit of lab animal medicine. So coming into vet school in first year, you know, you get exposed to everything. You really want to try everything, and that was kind of how I approached things. I'd say about halfway into first year, though, um, I had always had an interest in neurology but never really saw that as necessarily a specialty in and of itself and once we got a little bit of exposure to the field um, with our neurologists back at school um, it was really something I was piqued my interest a little bit and I ended up getting a summer job with them mm. so my summer after first year of vet school I ended up doing some research actually ended up working on two projects over that summer and by the end of that summer and having to you know getting to spend some time in clinics with them I was sold that okay, was what well, I want. That, that's great. That's great. It's, it's interesting because I, I got to be frank with you is probably 98 to 90 percent of the, the vets I know have always wanted to be a vet. Um, one of my friends who's a surgeon, he, he has videotape evidence from his mom at the age of four saying <laughs> he wants to be a vet. But it's yeah. interesting because uh, you and I are in the same. I, I never always wanted to be a vet. I decided later mm -hmm. in life to become a vet. So it, it's interesting when I meet the individuals that are in the same boat as me because most people yeah. most people have this drive and, 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 and it's Absolutely. interesting. But, but I can tell you statistically statistically, you're going to bring a slightly different flair to the profession. Um, I think it's I think it's going to be good because it, I think these people from these diverse backgrounds bring, um, you know, because you're not always driven to be that vet, which then A, tells me you have a diff slightly different personality. <laughs> so I think it's I think it's going to be uh, 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 interesting and, and good for you. But a, a question I do have is what percentage of your class was men versus women? That's a good question. So I think in a class of about... 112 of us there were 20 guys 20 guys okay yeah so like 15 and our class was supposed to be you know one of the more higher numbers of uh, guys 
Wow. In the last few years, at least. Okay. Okay. So, so it's trending. In my time, it was 30% guys, uh, 70% women. Mm -hmm. So when I started vet school, it was to get the uh, quote unquote old boys club out of the, out of the profession. <laughs> right. So, so right. now I think we're, we've got, we've reached that uh, saturation point. We've of, succeeded in that. Yeah, yeah. We definitely succeeded in that front. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that's part of, um, I, I do find as ownership a lot of, um, as full-time employees and as ownership, I think the, that the, there's been a shift in that. And it has to do with, um, uh, I, I'm finding that there's a, a difference in, well, I think it's difference with everyone about work-life balance. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. I, th I think you're right in the heart of, um, you're at the grunt stage of <laughs> your profession. Yes, yes. I, as I jokingly say, you're eating dirt financially, right? <laughs> Very there. much so. Um, but, but there's a light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> I think that's great. It'll be worth it. <laughs> okay, with that, we'll take a short break and we'll come back. And I, I think what we'll do next is we'll talk about um, how the art side of Vishal's life helped influence and shape and, and work with his current vet career. You're listening to Your Pet Matters on 1077, 1077thebronc.com. The following is an encore presentation of Your Pet Matters with many new shows to come. Missed an episode? No worries. You can subscribe to a free weekly episode of Your Pet Matters to listen to on your favorite podcasting platform. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever. Now... Here's a replay of Your Pet Matters with Dr. Michael Takiwa. We're back with Your Pet Matters with Dr. T of Progressive Veterinary Care, discussing everything you need to know to keep your furry friends happy, healthy, and safe. Only on 1077 The Bronx. Welcome back. And if you're just joining us, my special guest today is Dr. Vishal Murthy. He is a resident in neurology at UC Davis. Um, he's a Canadian. He graduated from the University of Guelph, OVC Ontario Veterinary College, um, did his internship in the Toronto area, and then um, went through the matching process to get um, his residency in UC Davis. So. He's enjoying actually probably pretty darn good weather right now, aren't you? <laughs> oh, it's not bad at all. <laughs> uh, what, what was the high today? Uh, probably like low 60s. Okay. We, 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 uh, right now in Jersey, it was like the morning started at 28 degrees and it went up oh, to wow. 51. We're getting a huge variance. <laughs> so 51. So when I, when, I, when I take my son to the bus to go to school in the morning, it's 28 degrees when I... Uh, meet him afterwards it's 51 degrees so oh, you're wearing wow. full winter uh, gear in the morning and then a spring jacket <laughs> in the afternoon but yeah it's starting to get colder and colder yeah. um, here but yeah no California that's oh, I'm a little jealous I'm not going to lie to you we're, we're in a good place <laughs> here I must say yeah, yeah and they, I, I guess they're not used to any sort of really cold you, 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 your, your body's hardened right to the cold weather oh yeah. yeah I'm I'm okay it's t-shirt weather outside <laughs> oh man oh man yeah that's great. Um, but why don't we talk about um, art? You know, like when did sure. you get started in art and, and what role has it played through your, through your life and through your profession? Art has been a really big part of my life. Um, I've been doodling ever since I can remember. It's always been something I did. It's always been something I was interested in. I've always been, you know, like, like any kid, I grew up watching cartoons, right? And I think more so than most kids, I was really interested in how they were made and really getting into the nitty gritty of, uh, you know, animation and even like um, editorial cartoons to, you know, things like Calvin and Hobbes and all of those kind of uh, comic strips. And so something I was always very much into. And I think, um, as I mentioned before, at one point in time, that was kind of, I was almost leaning toward going down that path myself with as a career. And then, you know, I think it's, great that I found veterinary medicine and this has definitely been my calling but I've always been able to keep art on the side as a as a hobby and partly as a yeah, I guess a part-time career you could call um, predominantly through vet school a lot of the stuff I did was um, you know for class projects stuff like that like you know we would have our hockey games and stuff and we would make promotional material for that and I you know designed the mascot and I was the mascot and stuff like that <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Okay, I gotta ask you. I gotta ask you. What was what was the mascot? We were the Scarlet Stags. Scarlet <laughs> Stag. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. There's pictures of me with the giant uh, deer costume on. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, so, so yeah, we did a lot of that kind of stuff. So uh, growing up, so what was your favorite cartoon? Uh, 
don't know that I can pick one cartoon per se, but I think comic strips, I definitely found Calvin and Hobbes to be the best. It's one that like grew up with me through the ages, I must say. Um, but you know, I've definitely enjoyed a lot of different uh, cartoons. Still a big Disney fan, still go watch all the animated stuff that comes out. It's a shame they don't make a lot of 2D animated things anymore, but you know, I'm still a big fanboy. Yeah, yeah, no, everything's computer. Even, even the ones that look 2D are made on a computer, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely gone a different direction these days, but it's fun. Okay. And so, so I think probably. Oh, go ahead. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think one of the highlights for uh, my quote unquote artistic career has been uh, in vet school. I actually got to uh, help design a, um, I guess, like a iPad game or like an app um, that the um, school is actually designing to help teach kids how to take care of pets. And you know, my role in that was very much drawing frame by frame different animations of the dogs and all the uh, backgrounds and all that kind of stuff and really kind of getting to be a part of building that from the ground up. I think the project ended up getting sold to a different company. It didn't really get off the floor very much, but still a great experience. Still allowed me to actually make a bit of money on the side too, which is sweet. Yeah. And so, so did you start your own company or did, did you just, did you have a little, little company or were you just paid as a... Yeah, I started a little company called Vet Cartoonist Studios. So uh, definitely did a lot of stuff with that. I also kind of freelanced a little bit for medical illustrator, illustration kind of uh, gigs too. So did a bit of work like that. Um, and in my internship, I actually was a editorial cartoonist for the Toronto Academy of Veterinary Medicine. They oh. would have their kind of bi-monthly newsletter that would come out and I had to have little editorial cartoons in there making fun of uh, different things. Oh, that's great. Hey, can you, do you have any, like, can you send me some? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's, why you, I've, I've been seeing if you send me some, because I, I want to post them on our, our Facebook page. We'll put some examples of what you did. Sure. Yeah, it, it, and it doesn't, have to, uh, it doesn't have to be politically correct. <laughs> it doesn't have to at all. <laughs> no, they're all PC, yeah. <laughs> um, they're actually up on my website, which is vetcartoonist.com. Okay. Let me write that up, vetcartoonist.com. But yeah, I'll send you a couple of them. And it, is that app still, is that app available? The app you helped? Um... No, unfortunately not. Yeah, it, it never actually got to the point of being published and put online. Um, I think we went through a couple of beta phases and that was about it. Okay, okay. No, that's great though. That's great that you, but um, you know, like I said, we can, if it's something, you know, once you're done your residency, <laughs> and you and you yep. get a life Once I'm done, you I'll get a life you get a life then you can go back to that and uh um but, but we'll definitely post your website um up there and uh some examples of, of what you've done i think that's great so so right now as you indicated to me before is that um the residency is just taking a lot of your time so you're not really able to but but do you ever use it as an outlet as a stress relief outlet do you just doodle and stuff like that yeah do not not so much at work because that never really presents itself as an opportunity, but uh, you know, when I'm off clinics especially, it's something I like to do to just you know, zone out a little bit, get my mind cleared, and uh, just rejuvenate a little bit. Do you, do you ever, when you're explaining something to a client, do you ever go in and like draw in more detail, draw cartoons? All the time, <laughs> all the time. I, you know, everybody presents stuff to clients in a different way. My way is very much, I have a little whiteboard in my room, in my exam room when I go in. So the first thing I do is I draw the nervous system and I explain to them everything on the board. And I find that people actually like that. They, it makes more sense to them. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. And, and then it, yeah, no, that, that's really cool. Do, if you could do me a favor, when you, when you do that, just take a quick photo and send it to me. Cause I'd love to see that, that <laughs> sure. process as well. Yeah, no, that, that's great. It's, yeah. I think, yeah, stuff like that. It's like, yeah, when I draw, it's like stick figures and <laughs> things like that. But no, that's, that's, that's phenomenal. That's awesome. So, so it helped, it helped to fund a little bit of your vet school. It's definitely a stress relief for you. And it's, it's something that, um, yes. as you said, it, it permeates your life and it, it's always going to be with you. And, and I, well, I definitely hope that, you know, after the residency or when you get the, the opportunity that you, you continue this, uh, um, this, this business and, and stuff. Because there's a lot of opportunity. I'm finding that as we, as veterinarians, get more into social media, we get more into um, um, areas where we need diagrams and everything like that. Ironically, yeah. I, I linked up with... Um, He's a graphic artist. Uh, he used to work with comics and um, like the Marvel and DC type comics. And um, oh, I said, there's, there's, there's some videos I want to make, but I need 
I need nice images, right, about what I'm talking about. Like, yeah. something like, just like, like heartworm disease, right? You want to talk about stuff. You right, have the images right. and everything like that or the flea life cycle, anything like that. And so I think that, um, yeah. I think that though, there, there's definitely a need for that and demand for that. I think that's great. Okay, well, that, that took up uh, the segment time. So why don't we, we take a short break right now and uh, we'll come back and, and we'll talk about, um, there, there's a couple things I do want to talk to Fichelle about is, uh, is work-life balance. We've been talking about that a lot on the show. I'm, I'm sure that everyone's read about you know, the, the stress levels that veterinarians face and everything like that. Um, and, and I think that you know, he, he, he touched a little bit about um, the ethnic diversity that, that we have in this profession and, and we'll talk about things like that. So stay tuned. You're listening to Your Pet Matters on 1077, 1077thebronc.com. Every weekend, you'll find a project to get involved with. And sometimes, it'll include your scaly or furry partner in crime. From Your Pet Matters with Dr. T, it's time for Producer's Pet Project. Your go-to for pet news, recall alerts, adoption services, and overall helpful tips and tricks to keep your best friend happy and healthy. Producer's Pet Project is underwritten in part by Progressive Veterinary Care. Hello everyone, I hope you're enjoying this episode of Your Pet Matters. I'm your producer, Wade Buchanan, and today I want to talk about how do dogs jump so high? We often see our dogs clear fences, um, jump up super high in the air to catch an overthrown frisbee, and it's got me curious, just how is this possible? You know? So I went online and did some research, and I found an article done by uh, Pathway Pooch uh, talking about how high can dogs jump um, as well as how does a dog jump so high and it states that dogs such as greyhounds can jump to a height of six feet if they desire according to the guinness world record the the record for the highest jump by a dog is 191.7 centimeters or six feet so how does a dog jump this high The biomechanics of a dog jump is an extremely complex one, which consists of many elements. In its simplest form, a dog will use its back legs to propel itself off the ground, whilst the dog's front legs and head will give it propulsion in the direction it wishes to jump, whilst also taking the full impact of the landing. Dogs will usually perform a jump from a running start or at least a skip if the aim is not height and instead is the distance the dog will run faster to build momentum. Dogs are also well known for their vertical wall climbing ability, and in fact, dogs can reach well over 10 feet during a climb. The momentum a dog gets to propel itself up a wall is the most important part, while small boosts on the surface of the walls give them those extra feet. How high can a dog jump over a fence? If you have a dog that loves to jump, it can often be worrying when you let them outside on their own, questioning whether the fence you put up can sustain your escape artist dog. Dogs love to explore, and any chance there is to get out of the house in which they are confined is one to be taken. This can often lead to some extraordinary athletic abilities. As mentioned above, on average some dogs can jump 6 feet in the air, from a freestanding position. However, this is not the same for fences. What some people don't realize is that a dog's ability to jump six feet in the air can become much higher with the aid of a fence. Greyhounds tend to be known for their jumping ability, owing to their hugely powerful back legs and slender physique. Owners often put um, a standard six-foot fence up to keep their furry friends from escaping. With the record standing at slightly over six feet, you may think that it is enough to deter your dog from jumping over. When jumping over a fence, a dog can get a small boost from the side of the fence, propelling them even higher in the air. So when you think a six foot fence will do you uh, may well, you will be wrong. And now is how to keep a dog from jumping over your fence. Keeping your dog safe is a number one priority for most owners. And when you have an escape artist dog, your life may get somewhat troublesome. Now we have established that certain dogs are more than capable of jumping over six foot fence. It's time to highlight some ways to keep your dog from jumping over a fence. 
This is the answer you probably don't want to hear, but training your dog to realize they shouldn't jump over a fence is the main option. Whilst this is easy to say, it can be difficult to get your dog to understand this, as it's such an elaborate action. You would have to essentially wait until your dog attempts to jump over the fence and quickly reinforce some stern words. Although dogs are more than smart enough to realize what you are saying, there is no point in waiting for this to happen when you can more easily prevent them from jumping over the fence. Most owners that have dogs will use prevention techniques such as aiding adding an extra section to the top of your fence to make it higher. This should deter your dog from attempting to jump over the fence and hopefully convince them that it's a bad idea anyways. What dog breeds can jump the highest? As we have mentioned, the Greyhounds are one of the most prolific jumpers in the dog world. However, some other dogs that have an aptitude for heights. Um, below is a list of some of the highest jumping dogs and it reads Greyhound, Whippet, Visla, Pitbull Terrier, Border Collie, German Shepherd, Wattweiler, and Wehren Rainer. These are just some of the dogs that are well known for their jumping ability. Although jumping is a great strength for these dogs, there are also incredible agility dogs that can do much more than jump high. And is jumping good for dogs? Dogs are extremely athletic animals. They are made for running, jumping, and quick reactive motions. However, despite being made for this kind of activity, dogs can sometimes end up doing more harm than good. Jumping is not necessarily bad for dogs. In fact, jumping can have many benefits to a dog's health. Jumping stretches out a dog's muscle and joints and is much better for them than sitting around all day. On the other hand, dogs can do some serious damage if they don't jump correctly or if they are jumping too often. Is it safe for puppies to jump? If you have ever owned a new puppy, you will often find that they have an overactive jumping ability. Puppies love to jump mainly because they want to get closer to you, often jumping up in your face. This is something we as owners tend to discourage from an early age, mainly because a jumping dog can become quite annoying over time. Puppies should be discouraged from jumping not only because it is annoying, but because it can damage their joints in the long run. Puppies have a growth term of around 12 months, where growth plates are closing up and their bones fuse together. For the same reason, puppies should not be overwalked. It's vital that any exuberant jumping is limited and their bodies are left to grow without interruption. Unfortunately, that's all the time I have for this episode, so tune in next time where I give you more tips, tricks, and overall fun uh, facts to keep your furry friends happy, healthy, and safe. Till then, back to Dr. T and your pet matters. I'm your producer, Wave Buchanan, and I will see you all in the next one. Stay safe, everybody. That was today's segment of Producers Pet Project. Your one stop for all things pet news, recall alerts, adoption services, and more. Be sure to tune in next time. And for a more in-depth conversation, listen to Your Pet Matters with Dr. T every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Producers Pet Project is underwritten in part by Progressive Veterinary Care. Only on 1077 The Bronx. The following is an encore presentation of Your Pet Matters with many new shows to come. Missed an episode? No worries. You can subscribe to a free weekly episode of Your Pet Matters to listen to on your favorite podcasting platform. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever. Now, here's a replay of Your Pet Matters with Dr. Michael Takiwa. We're back with Your Pet Matters with Dr. T of Progressive Veterinary Care, discussing everything you need to know to keep your furry friends happy, healthy, and safe. Only on 1077 The Bronx. Welcome back. This is Your Pet Matters. I'm your host, Michael Dr. T. Tequila. My special guest today is Dr. Vishal Murthy. He is a neurology resident currently at UC Davis. He's a Canadian vet. I uh, graduated from the uh, Ontario Vet College at Guelph and did his internship in Toronto. And, and as you've listened over the couple segments, uh, art has permeated his life. He, he started a company called vetcartoonist.com and, and he's always doodling and stuff. And we talked about how he draws really great neurology diagrams for his clients and so forth. And I, hope to, I hope to see a sample of that, um, but, but it, it's just part of his life. And, and I think it's, it's really cool. I think that, that the, the veterinarians that I find, um, well, I think anyone, any profession, 
professional that has these diverse talents, I think they just make better, well-rounded individuals anyways. And, and you'll see within the vet community, there's a lot of, a lot of diverse talents out there. I think it's really good. Absolutely. Um, yeah, but, but, but Vishal, in, in, um, in the press, in social media, there's a lot of talk about how stressful internships are mm-hmm. and how grueling these internships and residencies are and and how um you know we, we I, I think we could all agree it's it's almost penance that you pay um so forth i think that many graduate students in general um you know mm-hmm. as i as i told you we our, our income is we eat dirt and uh, you know craft dinner yeah. <laughs> mac and cheese you know yep. eat dirt and everything a lot like that. Of KD. <laughs> yeah and then uh, and then once that's over then you've been groomed and molded and and then go out to your profession but um, on the same side uh, there's a lot of interns and residences that are phenomenal I think that um, ironically the last neurologist I talked to he just finished his residency he's at UPenn um, he he summed it up in that you you have to kind of know what you're getting into. And if you, if you have that mindset and you have that light at the end of the tunnel, if you, if you start an internship or residency in the hopes of, oh, I don't know where it's going to lead me, I think he found that those are the individuals that get more stressed. It, it seemed like, um, as you said before, that you found in your first year of vet school that that neurology really hit you and that's what you wanted to do. And yeah. I think that, you know, you, you definitely see that at the, at the end of, you got what, a couple more years left, I guess, right, for your... Uh, yeah, yeah. But two years left. Yeah, and then um, so so. But yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, like you said, it's like once I had neurology to set my compass at, then I just I knew where I was going. Everything had a purpose. Everything had a goal, and it made the whole process a lot more manageable for me. I must say. And, and so so I guess for our listening and viewing audience, can you describe what your internship was like? What a typical day of your internship was, and sure. then what a typical day now is, and what your expect. Did, sure. did it meet your expectations? Is there things that these outliers that really hit you, you know, words of wisdom that you could get yeah. these young vets that are going to apply? Fair enough. I'd say my internship was great. I actually really enjoyed it a lot. But I think I also enjoyed it a lot because I had very much a end goal in mind. You know, I I chose my internship based on the number of neurologists there were. I chose my internship based on, you know, how much time I get to spend on neurology. Like I, those are some of the criteria that matter more to me than some of my other intermates, for example. But um, my intern class was really good. We you know, relied on each other very well. We supported each other and we had a good set of mentors there. So I definitely felt very well supported through the whole process. Um, I must say that, you know, like you said earlier, I think knowing what you're getting into is big. And, you know, for people applying, especially now, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, today is like the deadline for match day or something. Ah, so okay. Okay. I think I think uh, one of the big things is, you know, take the time to visit, take the time to talk to people who have already done a program, like gone through that program, who have done internships or residencies, and really get to know the place, the feel for what the program is like before you get into that. I had a great time in my internship, wouldn't, you know, I would go back and do it by in a heartbeat. I mean, not that I necessarily want to go do another year of that, but I had a good enough time that I would consider doing that. And similarly with the residency, so far it's been a lot of work. It's definitely been an uphill struggle at times, but it's been amazing. I've been learning a lot, really doing a lot more. I'd say my average day in my internship really depended on kind of what service I was on. We would rotate through different things like ER, neurology, surgery, medicine. But um, on average, I was there from about, you know, 7 a.m. to about anywhere between like 7 to 9 in the evening. There were definitely days when I was there until midnight, but not as many as otherwise. Um, in the residency program, it is really kind of dependent on where or kind of what kind of schedule I've got. I'd say it's not uncommon for me to be there by around 7 a.m., leave probably around like 8 or 9. But if I'm on call, I'm probably going to be going back in that night. We do a lot. We have a very high caseload here at Davis, and uh, that often means that we see a lot of emergencies. So it's not uncommon for me to be up a large chunk of the night doing surgery and then back to work again the next day for the same thing. You know, I actually just got off working the weekend and uh, we had a quiet weekend, but still had both nights where I was up for about 3 a.m. each night with surgeries. 
Well, do it while you're young, Manny. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I can't pull all-nighters anymore. Uh, but the question that's going through my mind is, so your internship was at a private facility, right? P private practice, right? Yes. And you're, you're, yes. Do, do you think that had it been academia, it would have been different or no? It is a very different beast, I must say. Um, has pros and cons. I think, you know, a lot of the learning was really just pushed back on us. And so it's kind of what you put in is what you get out. I feel like in a lot of academic places, they guide you through that learning process a bit more. Um, it was nice to not have to be sharing that opportunity with other students. You know, not that that's always a bad thing because as a resident, I enjoy teaching students. But as an intern, I got to really focus on my own learning for a bit and really kind of hone my skills my first year out. And that I found to be quite helpful. Um, and honestly, I really appreciated the pace and the efficiency of private practice because my goal for my internship was to see a large number of cases to get comfortable with the medicine, with the medicine, and I think I achieved that really well. I don't know that I would have necessarily achieved that in academia. I certainly could have, but you know, I think when I went through the process of applying, that internship stood out to me for those very reasons, though. Yeah, and so why don't we do a shout out? So it was the Veterinary Emergency Center in Toronto. Is that what? Yeah, Veterinary okay. Emergency Clinic in uh, downtown Toronto. Okay, yeah, easy. No, <laughs> yeah, let's put a, put a shout out for it because if if you have a good experience, it's it's definitely worth it for anyone uh, anyone Absolutely. thinking about I doing would that. Highly recommend. I would highly recommend anyone apply there. You know, both uh, American and uh, Canadian. Good program, good folks. And and how many um, neurology? residents graduate per year do you know do you know the statistics for that in north america Ooh, that's a good one i don't actually but uh probably in the realm of like the 20s maybe and and, and so it, so for our listening and viewing eyes especially if you're a vet student thinking about this so you have to match for the internship a right and then you have to match for the residency okay yep yeah and it's quite common for candidates have to go through multiple rounds of the match. Um, I must say I have been very lucky that I got into the residency on my first attempt, which is a bit of an outlier, I guess. <laughs> but, um, you know, came and visited Davis, really loved the program here and, uh, you know, what they were offering in terms of the caseload and the pace was really something that I thought I would, would work well for me, given that I came from that background in private practice. And so I'm lucky that I got in here. <laughs> No, that's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, can I ask what your parents do? Just out of curiosity. Sure. My parents teach in human medicine. So my dad is a physiologist. My mom used to be a uh, physiologist as well. And how do they feel about veterinary medicine? <laughs> <laughs> you want the honest answer? Yes, I do. My parents wanted me to be a dentist. <laughs> like most... Like most Asian parents, they wanted me to be a dentist or a human doctor. And I promptly said nope to both. <laughs> but they're coming around to it. They, I think they're appreciating the impact that I can have on animals, and that's something special for them. Yeah, I, I, and correct me if I'm wrong. Are, are you finding that just the general consensus amongst the human medical profession is there's a little bit of surprise about what we're able to do as veterinarians? Oh, Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we do some pretty radical things at Davis, especially, you know, some major surgeries, things like that. We sometimes have human pediatricians come in and they're shocked at how much we're actually able to do in cats and dogs. It's pretty sweet. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I like that. And, and, and what, I, what I like is that the concept of One Health is that we're using the, the findings we oh, find yes. in the animal um, kingdom versus the human kingdom to help both, both places. No, I think that's great. Absolutely. There's a lot of crosstalk in that field for sure. I think that's great that you have pediatricians come in. Yeah, I, I, you know, to be frank, and, and I apologize, I'm, I'm being controversial. Some of my most um, controversial clients are from the human medical profession, right? <laughs> oh, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> Same over here. Yeah. Same over here. I've definitely had, uh, I've had human physicians who want to scrub into surgery with us, things like that, or where they start asking us to use specific medications, and I'm like, doesn't work like that in dogs, but <laughs> we might kill your dog with Appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's awesome. Do that, but okay. <laughs> yeah, I did have, and and I'm not going to name any names because I have quite a few. When there's an anesthesiology client of mine, a human anesthesiology, and he told me that he gave his dog X antibiotic, 
at X dose. And I, I, as politically correct as I said, I said, that's about 30 times what the dose should have been. Thank God she, she, she did well. So, you know, it's one of those things, but yeah. that was uh, <laughs> one of those things we had to deal with. <laughs> I'm jealous of where he is now. He's in California. And he's talking True, about going, California's pretty sweet. Yeah, they're talking about going home to, well, maybe BC. Maybe BC is something, huh? Yeah, yeah, my you know. middle ground, yeah. yeah. Vancouver is nice. <laughs> but you, you'll have lots of, you've got plenty of time, you'll have lots of choices. But um, so oh, yeah. w- one thing I, I wanted to talk to you about is, well, actually a couple of things. I think that we could we could talk about both these things. It's just the, the ethnic diversity that, that you've experienced as a veterinarian. Um, you know, before the show, I, I, I talked to you about how many Asian vets I know, and I, I joke about that um, all the time. But, you know, in, in my class, as I said, we had a small class size uh, in Prince Edward Island. I, I was the token Asian. <laughs> I had a buddy of mine who was the token uh, <laughs> uh, Indian, and then my my third friend was the token Jamaican, and that was it. We were the international crew in our class, and so um, you know, I yeah. know your, your class size was much larger. And there's a especially in, in Toronto area, in the Guelph area, there's much more uh, mm-hmm. uh, diverse areas there. But are, are, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about the ethnic diversity within our profession? Um, and then we'll talk think, about a little bit I about think, corporations, I think. Sure, sure. I think uh, we're making some progress, but I think we still have a long way to go. You know, it's still the majority of the class that is your typical kind of Caucasian, especially in the uh, Ontario side of things. You know, there was a pretty heavy slant to, you know, like urban Caucasian background. Um, you know, we had a few people from more of the uh, rural side of Ontario, but for the most part, it was very monotone, I guess. That's the best way to put that. But, um, you know, I must say that our class was pretty nice. We had a relatively diverse group, and, you know, we, compared to a lot of veterinary classes, we had a fair number of guys. We had about 20 guys in our class, which is another aspect of diversity in, in this profession these days. But, you know, um, when we talk about, you know, people from different ethnic backgrounds, there's probably maybe 15, 20 of us altogether, like not even. So we were definitely still a very much minority. But, um, you know, I think the n- nice thing that we bring out in veterinary medicine is, you know, we're, we're able to kind of cross some boundaries and especially with pet owners of different backgrounds, be able to really, you know, integrate a little bit more, get the word out about veterinary medicine into some of these communities. Because I mean, I must say growing up in a, uh, growing up in India and other parts of Asia, for example, the attitude towards animals is very different. And I must say that even coming to Canada, a lot of, you know, both immigrant families and even second, third generation families are not necessarily, they don't, they don't have the same approaches to animals as, you know, a lot of us think of, for example. And so what we're starting to see is more and more people owning pets, which is great. I think it has a lot of wonderful benefits, but sometimes, you know, you need somebody from that community to really stand out to be more of an advocate for the animals and really, you know, push medicine. And, you know, one of the things I'll give you an example of right here, I work in a referral setting. I know I can very clearly see the nature of the referrals that I get. And I don't see many South Asian people coming down with their animals. I know that there's a large uh, population of South Asians who do have pets in the area, but somehow referral medicine is not something that's very high on the list. And you know, it's one of those things where I think this, if they start seeing more and more people in the community, then yeah, maybe that will be something we see. And we get better care for these animals that way. No, that's a great point. In my experience, so there, there's, there's a large um, South Asian population in Jersey here. And it's interesting because even mm-hmm. in my time of practicing here, I've noticed the trend. It's, 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 it's people of your generation, your age group that are getting the pets and bringing them to the household. Yep. So you, you guys are the first pet owners. Yep. And um, the, the beauty is the millennials are, are actually excellent pet owners. And I find that, you know, they're, exactly. they're not, exactly. they're, they're, they're that link. They're that missing link. They're that bridge yep. to cross over. Exactly. Uh, they had to bridge that gap. Yeah. And so I think that the next generation will be then more uniform. But, but do you think that your class mm-hmm. ethnicity was reflective of the population, um, you know, diversity of, of Ontario or no? Do you think like, so what, we're talking like 15%, right? 15, 20% of your class. Yeah, roughly. 
because I can't, you know, I can't remember. I can't remember what it was. And and I'm so I'm so uh, uh, saturated here. If I go to the Princeton area, it's lots of Asian in the area, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it depends on where you go in Jersey. You're gonna get I must different. say, you know. I must say Ontario is very much like that. It, it was really dependent on where you went. Like in the Toronto area, you had these little pockets where you would see predominantly, you know, Asian Canadians, or you'd see predominantly South Asians, or you know, you, depending on where you go, you would have that. And so, when I look back at my class and I see where my classmates have gone, I will say that I think we're still underrepresented. Excellent, excellent. Okay, well, but we're definitely you, made some progress in that. Yeah, and you're going to be the you're going to be that leader, that advocate for that because I, I think it's an excellent point. <laughs> I'm going to be the neurologist. In the That's right. Yep. You know, they're they're going to draw to you. It's it's funny because I've I've had some clients come to me simply because of my last name. You know, it's interesting. I've had oh, really? some Japanese clients. So we get we get uh here in sure. Jersey we get um Japanese companies they'll send employees over for two or three years and they instantly oh, lock okay. onto my last name and right. come over. And it, it's it's interesting that way. And I find that funny, but it, it's 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 what it is. Well, why, why don't we switch gears yeah. in the last few minutes here? And and, and we we did talk, me and you talked at the break about corporate uh, veterinary and, and mm-hmm. uh, the, the trend I'm seeing is um, in Jersey. I, I can really only speak for Jersey. So in Jersey, there's a lot of small owner practices that the owner's ready to retire. And what I'm seeing is corporates come in and. The, the drawing card is they're paying them more than what the practice is worth. And so a lot of these owners, yeah. are, they're ready to retire. They want that retirement fund and they get this and they get, they get a significant amount more than what the practice is worth. And then the downside <laughs> about that, it's great for them and it does bring more stabilization to HR and payroll and so forth. But the downside that I'm witnessing is the culture changes. And the culture changes yeah. um, for two reasons. It either becomes truly corporate, which is completely different than a mom and pop, operation or um, some corporate entities that are buying vet practices don't really understand the vet culture. And I find that um, mm-hmm. as a result, that culture shock happens. Uh, but but I know you have some strong yeah. views of that and I'd love to hear what you have to say. <laughs> well, I guess I should start off by saying that, you know, I can talk briefly about the kind of US versus Canadian system because I think the time when I was graduating in Canada, corporate medicine is still not as as much of a deal. It was just starting to come in, starting to seep into Toronto when I left. And coming to California, that's that's it here. I see nothing but corporate practice here. So it was it was a bit of a culture shock for me coming down, you know. I was used to having a really like you know close connection to these practice owners who had built these practices in my internship and then I come down here and it's like, oh yeah, that's another VCA, that's another VCA. <laughs> and like everything is corporate owned over here, which you know definitely has its pros and cons. I can appreciate that, you know, for a um, general practice owner that that's a great way to sell your practice and really get a lot of money and especially in the you know economy that we're dealing with, I can see that. But I think some of the things that have been a little disturbing to me, especially from the referral side of things, has been, you know, some of these um, corporates will make their general practitioners only refer to certain referral centers. Or, you know, some of the things that change are the the type of procedures they can do or, you know, kind of this cookie cutter medicine concept, which I've actually unfortunately seen a fair bit of. Wow. I've also... Yeah, that's that's the thing that really gets me. But some of the other ones are, you know, that kind of drive about production. And that's one that, you know, I, I completely get that, you know, to be a good businessman, you need to know what you're making. But I have a hard time when uh, some of the corporates seem to be pushing that a lot more. And, you know, I'm open to it. I, I realize that, you know, that is kind of where this profession is going. And there's definitely a lot of better ones out there where there's very minimal, um, you know, hands in the cookie jar, I guess. But so far, I've not had the greatest experience in that front, I must say. Oh, yeah. No, it, but well, I hope- it, it's interesting when you said about, so, so to address the points you brought up, uh, um, I can understand if you're a corporate and you own a day practice and you also own a referral practice, clearly you're going to feed into that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, I'm, not, I'm not experiencing that here because I guess – Many of the, because sure. we're still mostly privately owned, that refer to. I don't care if the if the referral center is uh, corporate or private, right? It just it's honestly right, it's right. who do I know there, 
You know, it's like yeah. if, if I have a close link <laughs> with internal medicine, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give them a call and, yeah. and send them over and stuff. But um, what I have seen is um, the hospitals here, the corporate hospitals, they they make deals with companies for like vaccines or antibiotics, and they tend to push that you only mm-hmm. can use this product or whatever. But I've never seen right. a protocol forced upon them. That that is interesting. I. I've heard a few, and again, you know, this is me hearing about these from other veterinarians, from clients who have gone to other places. It's not necessarily firsthand, but you know, some of our, some of the students that I have taught and who have now gone on to go to their first jobs, I hear some of these stories from them, and that's kind of scary to think that you know, your first year out, when you're really looking for that mentorship, you're not getting that, and instead you're getting, you know, this corporate entity telling you what to do. And, uh, you know, really kind of breathing down your neck because you're not making enough, you're not bringing enough in. And that, that rankles me. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I get it. Yeah. It's interesting because they're probably drawn there because they probably got offered a fairly good salary. And, you know, and they're exactly they get really good signing bonuses. They do a really good job with that. They get a wonderful employee manual. <laughs> Beautiful <laughs> yeah. laminated employee uh, you know, manual. Yeah. And then there's still some of these really, really amazing practices out there, you know, there's still mom and pop places that have been in business forever and they do some really great work. And, you know, not to say that all corporate is bad because I've definitely had some good experiences with them, but I guess it's one of those things where I look at it and especially as someone who's potentially looking to apply for jobs in corporate referral centers down the road, it makes me a little leery about what the field is going toward. You know, one of the things you mentioned too is that some of these decisions that are being made are being made by people who are not really veterinarians. Some of the people who are making all these business decisions. And so, you know, it's a little hard to sit there and, you know, have somebody who doesn't really know the profession tell you how to run your your practice. So stuff like that, I think uh, I'm not quite on board with that yet. No, no, that, so yeah, that, that explains the drive to go back home. <laughs> Totally. I get yeah, it. But, you know, unfortunately, what is, is happening is it's starting to happen in Canada, too. Yeah. I think the U.S. market got flooded first, and now the Canadian system is starting to go that way. And, well, just, just to, just to so ease we'll your have- mind, and, and we only have like a few seconds here left, but to ease your mind, a buddy of mine, uh, his wife opened up a very small practice that she's a sole practitioner right between two giant referral centers. And she's rocking it. Oh, yeah. So, so it's one of those things you what? can you can look out to. I think I think that um, if you do it right, uh, I think that you can mm-hmm. really 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 succeed. Yeah, but but it's great to hear your viewpoint, viewpoints on that. Well, I got to tell you, the time is up. It's been a great conversation. Um, so, so if anyone's does. interested in, in, in learning more about Vishal, you can definitely um, go to UC Davis. He's definitely on the faculty list. I, I got his little bio from that. <laughs> uh, but but he's also got the vetcartoonist.com website, and you can check that out. And then I would assume in two years or so, you'll see much more activity going on there after this. And uh, <laughs> it, it may be vetcartoonist.ca. <laughs> Right? In the future. (laughs) Go back home. You never know. Yeah. But it was was great talking to you, Michelle, and I wish you all the best in completing of your residency. And, you know, I I think that uh, the fact that you you have this vision, you knew what you wanted to do, and you're you're driving towards that goal is, is awesome. Well, thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you. Great. And remember, everyone, love your pet like they love you unconditionally. Have a great day. That was Your Pet Matters with Dr. T of Progressive Veterinary Care. You can tune in right here every Saturday at 10 a.m. Or to hear more right now, you can go to 1077thebronc.com slash yourpetmatters, where you can download past episodes as podcasts on your favorite platform like Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. Your Pet Matters is underwritten by Progressive Veterinary Care, 390 County Road, Route 518, Skillman. For more information online, it's progressiveveterinarycare.com. We'll see you next time, only on 1077 The Bronx.